Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Guardian. If I asked you to think about sharks, what comes to mind? Is it something a bit like a scene from Jaws? A terrifying predator with huge teeth and lifeless black eyes? Are you wondering whether or not it's safe to get back in the water? This morning, new warnings about dangers in the water after a shark attack off the coast of Northern California. There are fears a monster shark measuring more than five metres is lurking off North Stradbroke Island in Queensland. When we hear news stories about sharks, it tends to be about their attacks on humans. But the reality is that the threat sharks face from us is far, far greater than the threat we face from them. According to a report from 2013, it's estimated that humans kill 100 million sharks every year. And last week, the IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, updated its red list of threatened species, warning that over a third of all sharks and rays now face extinction. From The Guardian, I'm Anand Jagatia, and today on Science Weekly, what do declining shark numbers mean for our oceans? Phoebe Weston, you're The Guardian's biodiversity reporter, and last week you went to the RUCN Congress in Marseille, in France. Uh, oui, c'est ça. Oui. Je suis à uh, je suis à Marseille pour cinq jours oui. pour la conférence. D'accord. Uh, what is the IUCN? Tell us a bit more. And and why was this congress a big deal? The thing that probably most listeners will think of when I say IUCN is the red list, and this is essentially listing which species are vulnerable, threatened, endangered, critically endangered, all of those. And currently, there are more than a hundred and thirty-eight thousand species on the red list. With this latest update, we found out that more than thirty-eight thousand of them are threatened with extinction. Bonjour. Bonjour. Parlez-vous l'anglais? Yeah. Can I ask why you're dressed as a bee? What was it like being there? What was the atmosphere like? So every four years, the uh, IUCN has a congress, and it's a bit like Davos, but for conservation. So it kind of shapes the next four years of conservation. What I love most about it was meeting the campaigners and the people that care so passionately about specific species. And we try to protect uh, bees because uh, without bees, uh, there is no life. Yeah. Uh, on the planet. Yeah. And under that kind of enthusiasm is this looming sadness, really, 
that not enough is being done to protect the natural world. And these conferences are meant to be tackling that. But historically, they don't seem to be doing a very good job of it. And the catastrophic declines in biodiversity are not stopping. The thing which saddened me most was hearing about the fate of the world's sharks and rays in the latest IUCN update. So why is it that we group sharks and rays together? Are they similar fish? Yes. So this is a brief biology lesson. Sharks and rays are essentially down a different evolutionary branch to most fish. So they're called cartilaginous fish. And that is a very long word to basically say that they're made of cartilage. So they're made of the same stuff in your ear. Also in this evolutionary group is chimera, sometimes called ghost sharks. And what this group all has in common is that they are quite slow at breeding. And this is for two reasons. One is they take a long time to get to sexual maturity. Normally for sharks, it's after they're 10 years old. And unlike other fish, they actually give birth to live young. So generally between one and 20 a year. This means they produce more like marine mammals than fish. So when we think about fish bouncing back, that's not going to be the case for this group. They're going to be a lot slower to recover. Bienvenue, welcome everybody to the IUCN Red List press conference here at the IUCN World Conservation Congress in Marseille. And what exactly does the IUCN's updated Red List say about these species? There are 1,250 species of sharks, rays and chimera around the world. And essentially, they found that in the space of a decade, we've gone from a quarter of these species being considered threatened, so that means critically endangered, endangered or vulnerable, to 37% of them. So that really shows how fast these populations are declining. And the researchers were really emphasising that without urgent action, these declines are going to continue. Many of them will become extinct. I mean, that sounds quite alarming. What are the causes for this? Why are populations you know, dropping off so sharply? There's lots of different factors. One of the key themes that came out of the conference was overfishing. Loads of these sharks and rays are being caught as bycatch. Bycatch is not what industrial fisheries want to catch. They're not the target species, but they just get caught up in the net and then eventually they die. So that's a big issue. And secondly is targeted catching of sharks. And the most famous example is shark fins. But there were some weirder um, reasons why sharks are harvested. And one was for a substance called squalene. Do you know what squalene is? I've never actually even heard the word squalene in, in my life. What is squalene? What does it have to do with sharks? So squalene is this oil which um, was traditionally sourced from the liver of sharks used in some creams. Um, and now there are alternatives, but people are essentially harvesting sharks' livers to get this oil. How do we deal with this problem then? What, what are some of the things that people were talking about at the Congress in terms of solutions? Okay, so a lot of it comes down to legislation. And this is rules that fisheries have to follow about putting sharks back out if they're caught as bycatch. And also um, rules on not catching sharks and using their fins. I would associate shark fins with, you know, shark fin soup. And that seems like an incredibly wasteful practice. But if you're saying that actually bycatch is, is, a, is a really big problem in terms of shark numbers, then really all fishing is, is going to contribute to that. And so, you know, choices that people make, if, if I just eat some tuna or if I eat other kinds of fish, that is also going to be contributing to shark numbers as well. 
I think that's a great point, and consumers would definitely want to know if the products they were purchasing were damaging sharks. Yes, my name is Rima Jabado, and I'm the chair of the IUCN. And that's a question I put to Dr. Rima Jabado, a marine conservationist who works for the non-profit organization Elasmo Project, based in the UAE. She said that there are certification schemes that are starting to consider the issue of bycatch, but that none are actually working properly at the moment. Safe or that's a shark safe, so we don't, we're not there yet. Okay. So you can't buy a can of tuna that says, "Oh, this didn't catch any dolphins or catch any sharks as bycatch." Not right now, in terms of being able to choose which fisheries are sustainable for sharks and rays specifically. That's one way of doing it. But what about attitudes? What about just general public opinion about sharks? They're not cute or cuddly in any way. Was there any chat about that and how that might influence the way that we think about conservation? Yeah, and if I think about the people I know and talking about sharks, most people think they're terrifying and we hear about them killing surfers and and perhaps there's less public pressure on conserving these incredibly endangered species. Yeah, I mean, maybe compared to a turtle or or a whale, it might be difficult to think of sharks as being vulnerable because we usually think of them as putting other animals in danger, including us. Absolutely, yeah. They're seen as the top apex predators in the sea. It seems quite astonishing that they're doing so badly, given how ferocious and impressive they are in many ways. The fact that sharks are apex predators, does that have implications for what could happen to the wider marine ecosystem if they disappear? Yeah, I mean, I think we should protect sharks for their own sake. But as I mentioned, because they are top predators, when they disappear, this can lead to a boom in their prey. And these are often the bigger fish. And this means that there are fewer smaller plant-eating fish which consume things like algae and then if the corals are overwhelmed by algae then this damages the coral and so like all apex predators and I think we're perhaps more aware of their role on land than in the sea but it really destabilizes ecosystems. Thank you very much for coming and join us today for this mayday call. So what's your overall kind of takeaway from the conference then? How are you and how are the researchers you spoke to feeling uh, about the outlook for these species? Desperate, I would say. Um, The researchers are using this new listing as a way to call for urgent action on shark conservation. Our oceans are crying for help. And for the sharks, it's really a crisis. We are going to lose them. I found it quite moving, actually. I went to a press conference which really stuck with me. It was one by a researcher called Dr. Iris Ziegler, and she works for the Shark Project. And she worked with the endangered mako shark in the Atlantic. And these sharks are cheaters of the ocean. They can swim at speeds of 43 miles per hour, and they're amazing. But they're overfished worldwide. We are really here for, I have to say... And without action, they will go extinct. And even if all overfishing stops now, it will take 50 years for these populations to start to recover. And that's because of what we spoke about earlier, about them being such slow-breeding animals. And she said, you know, this is really our last chance to save these incredible creatures. We don't need politicians anymore that just make promises. We need actions now. Essentially, their hands are tied. We can't save sharks until fisheries are better regulated. Scientists have been calling since 2017. 
quite a bleak picture then, really, when it comes to sharks. But something else that came out of the conference, which actually possibly is cautiously a bit of good news, was about tuna stocks. Yes, that was good news. So four out of the seven species of commercially fished tuna, Atlantic bluefin, southern bluefin, albacore and yellowfin, are on the path to recovery. So the success of the albacore and southern bluefin tuna is due to the introduction of what's called harvest strategies. And this is a basically where managers determine ahead of time what rules or actions they will take based on the status of the stock. And crucially, this is informed by science. Tuna is a bit different because it's commercially fished. Sharks and rays are often bycatch. But it does show that science-based fishing policies work. And we do have the answers, which is great news. But on the flip side, it also makes it extremely frustrating when those solutions are not being put into action by governments. And I can understand why researchers feel at their wits end in this area. Well, thanks so much for talking to us, Phoebe. Thanks so much, Anand. I've enjoyed it. You can read Phoebe Weston's reporting and the rest of the Age of Extinction coverage of the biodiversity crisis at theguardian.com. And if you want to get in touch with us on the show, you can. Just email us at scienceweekly@theguardian.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Tuesday. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>